to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slade. And I'm Reed Gann, and we're your hosts for Commission Ed. So in today's episode, we are going to continue with the rebroadcast of the military series from Barbell Logic Podcast. And in today's episode, you are actually going to hear from me. Sorry, everybody who came here for the Marine again, you're welcome to go back and listen to those previous episodes. But today... You're going to hear from me and the co-host, Nikki Sims, talk about the Air and Space Forces, and in particular, Air Force Aircrew. Yeah, it was an awesome opportunity for you, Colin, to go on there and talk to those folks and bring your experience and expertise. I enjoyed listening to it, and I think our audience will as well. And we've got some comments at the end, but as you mentioned, Colin, this is our third episode, and I think there's some good points in here that are worth examining. And while you listen to this episode, I want you all to recognize the fact that while I am talking about aircrew, I'm not a pilot. You all know that, right? That's been you know, fully documented throughout all of the episodes that we've done. Reed, you and I, we do not know what it's like to be in a jet, you know, wearing the zipper suit, flying around with our hair on fire. We've never done that. But I do understand a little bit of the technology that is used in order to help our pilots and our aircrew while they are operating aircraft. And I wanted to bring that aspect of the Air Force and the use of technology for the projection of air power into the discussion. Yep. And a real quick plug, if anybody out there, you know, needs to fill their backseat for an incentive ride, Colin and I will, <laughs> either one of us will take your call. You know how to reach us. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And Colin, I thought they did a good job of bringing you in and having you explore, you know, the air and space force side of the military fitness culture, which is what they were talking about for their series. Yeah. I thought you brought up some good points and I think there'll be some things for us on the back end to talk about, but looking forward to it. And I think with that, we'll turn it over to the interview. Welcome everybody to the Barbell Logic Podcast military series. Today, we're going to be talking about Air and Space Forces and their air crew. And I am really glad to be here with Colin Slade, who works for us as a coach and he's on our sales team. Hello. And he wears many different hats in life. I do, yes. <laughs> so Colin, I'd love to know a little bit about you. First, specifically your function in the Air and Space Forces. Yeah, for sure. So my background in the military, specifically the Air Force, is that I graduated through Air Force ROTC in 2011, had a degree in mechanical engineering. And so I went into the Air Force as a civil engineering officer and did that for four years on active duty and then got out and joined the Air Force Reserve, but also came back into the Air Force on active duty a little bit later. And taught Air Force ROTC hmm. at the same detachment where I received my commission. That's cool. And did that for three years. Spent a total of seven years on active duty, and I'm now back in the Air Force Reserve, but um, 
in the process of cross-training into space operations. And so in some way, looking to join the Space Force as a guardian. Oh, so, my goodness. I love yes. That. I love that that could be a real thing that humans can say now. <laughs> right? Everybody has little kids. Legit guardian of the galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> now you can actually grow up and do that. That's rad. <laughs> so you're doing that and you're a strength coach. I am. Mm -hmm. Yes. When did you start lifting? Was it during your active duty? Was it later? When did that kind of come into play? Yeah. So in 2012, I was introduced to barbells for the first time. So I was on active duty at this point and I was working out with some fellow airmen and they were doing a workout that involves some presses, some deadlifts and all of this stuff without any sort of coaching or technical explanation and very high rep stuff. And I actually hurt my back after that workout. Hmm. Your first workout? Oh. Yes. And so I swore off barbells <laughs> thinking, man, that was stupid. Why did I do that? And didn't touch barbells again for probably three years. Oh, wow. And that whole time just dealing with the pain in my back, but also not making any progress hmm. in my back pain, as well as just my general level of fitness. Mm -hmm. And I eventually heard an interview on the Art of Manliness podcast. Thank you, Brett McKay, mm -hmm. uh, with Matt Reynolds. Thank you, Matt. And got introduced to the idea of using barbells as a way to increase my strength and to gain better overall fitness. And, you know, the military fitness model hadn't been working for me. Mm. And so I thought I would give that a try. Mm -hmm. And this was at the end of 2015, beginning of 2016. And I bought a barbell, bought some weights started teaching myself some of those lifts. And as poor as my technique was at the time, my back pain went away in three mm. weeks. And I, yeah, after, after three, having three, four or five years of. Yeah. It, yeah. And I, it completely blew my mind. And so I was like, man, there's really something to this. And so I started getting interested on the coaching side of things at that point too, and went through the coaching academy, coached my mom and my family members, my friends, everybody that would be willing to listen, mm -hmm. and now also working as a coach for Barbell Logic and helping as part of the sales team on the military side. Mm -hmm. Trying to infiltrate with strength. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that infiltrate is... <laughs> Should I not use that word? <laughs> right word to use for the military, but yes, to raise the level of awareness and education around the use of barbells and how it can increase our overall readiness and combat effectiveness, mm -hmm. not just in the Air Force and the Space Force, which is what we're talking about today, but across the Department of Defense yeah, and helping our members of the military, those who have sworn the oath to defend the Constitution of the United States, to become the best version of themselves and also to carry out the missions that have been assigned to them. Mm -hmm. So what was active duty like for you? What kind of stuff were you doing? So while I was a civil engineer, that was a lot of desk work, but for me personally as an officer, but I did make the effort to get out and see what all the guys and gals were doing, turning wrenches, digging holes, getting their boots dirty. And so there was mm -hmm. also plenty of opportunity for me to do some manual labor, as mm -hmm. it were, especially when I deployed. So I have two deployments under my belt, the first time to Cutter in 2013, and then to Jordan in 2015. And so, yes, lots of desk work, but plenty of opportunity for me to use my physical capacities to accomplish the Air Force mission. Mm -hmm. 
how do they keep an eye on your physical capacity? When you think of the Air Force, when you think of any kind of military branch, I just imagine like those commercials that I would see when I would go to see a movie, it'd be like people running and, you know, helping each other over walls and like, yeah. <laughs> like it pumps you up physically. You're like, yeah, it may, it's not like video of civil engineers sitting at desks. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> or like someone in front of a big screen controlling a drone. It's not like that at all. So there's a huge like yeah. physical appeal to this. Yeah, those kinds of things don't um, make for a very good recruiting video. (laughs) But unfortunately, we don't get to run obstacle courses that often. (laughs) That's too bad. No, the the typical military fitness program is kind of like an industrialized approach to fitness. Mm -hmm. That, you know, a squadron in the Air Force, the typical unit, lowest level unit where physical training is going to take place, everybody will come together and they'll do a lot of calisthenic type stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. lowest common denominator kind of thing where everybody can do it. It's cheap. It's easy. It's like uh, all body weight push-ups. Yeah, exactly. Push-ups, sit-ups, running. Mm -hmm. There may be some sort of high intensity interval training going on, but very rarely were we asked to use any sort of implements, any sort of equipment. Certainly there were no squats or deadlifts or anything like that. That one workout that I was telling you about where I hurt myself, that was an exception. That was a rarity and was done outside of the normal duty day with Mm. airmen who sought that kind of thing out on their own. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What is the standard PT test right now? So that's an interesting question because of COVID, Mm -hmm. there is no PT testing going on right now. Mm -hmm. But in the near future, when it does resume, the Air Force uses a one minute maximum effort push up, you know, as many repetitions as you can do with what they call proper form. Is this the one where your hands come up off the floor at the bottom? It's not, actually. We haven't adopted that one. That's under review. It's being used by the Army right now for their combat fitness tests, Mm -hmm. the new CFT. But we in the Air Force and Space Force have not yet adopted that one. So it's just a typical push-up where you're starting with your elbows locked out. You lower yourself with a flat back down to where your elbows break 90 degrees Mm, and then uh, push back up again. And that's one repetition. Okay, so we got a minute of push-ups. Yep, push-ups. And then there is a minute of sit-ups, okay. which is more of a crunch in that you have your hands placed on your collarbones in front of you as opposed to locked fingers behind your head. Mm-hmm. And you only go so far up to where your elbow touches at some point on your thigh. Okay. So you don't have to go all the way up. Okay. And again, that's for max repetitions within the one minute. Mm-hmm. And then the last piece of the fitness test is the one and a half mile run as fast as you can. Mm. And I say that that's the last piece of it because prior to COVID, there was the abdominal circumference or AC measurement Mm -hmm. that was considered part of the test. In fact, you would get a score from it. Mm -hmm. But back in December, that part of the test was permanently removed. And so even when uh, PT testing begins again, the AC measurement is not coming back. And so it's just going to be the one minute push up, the one minute sit ups and mile and a half run. Okay. And Colin was nice enough to clarify for me that the waist measurement was taken away due to wanting to maintain social distancing, not because they assumed everybody gained a bunch of COVID weight and they're just like, "Eh, it's fine for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that that's certainly in the realm of possibility. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that's the physical fitness test. I want to talk about 
what are the actual physical demands for the various types of airmen or aircrew? Yeah, airmen. Okay. Okay. Airmen and airwomen, right? Airmen and guardians. In okay. The, airmen in the Air Force and guardians in the Space guardians, Force. Guardians, yes. Okay. Male or female, you're still an airman. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so there are so many different things that you can do as an airman or as a guardian. What are the different ranges of physical needs? What do they have to perform? Yeah, this is a really interesting thing to explore because... In order to carry out combat operations to project air power, there's a huge number of things that have to happen. You know, some of those jobs are going to look like the typical desk job. You're going to be sitting at a computer looking up intelligence reports or preparing paperwork schedules Mm -hmm. or that kind of thing. Or some people are going to be doing more manual type labor, having to carry heavy munitions and load them on an aircraft or to fix the airplane itself or the other equipment that's used on the flight line or in support of the rest of the installation. Kind of like what I was saying earlier as a civil engineer, there are people who are constructing a runway and, you know, that can be a very physically demanding job to pour concrete Mm -hmm. or construct a hangar or something along those lines, right? Yeah. Having poured concrete before with my dad once, I was so exhausted. It's incredibly physically demanding and I don't think any number of crunches would have helped me, but anyway. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. And you're not running while you're pouring concrete. Uh, No, hopefully not. Unless you mess something up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so the jobs within the Air Force, they run the gamut. Yeah. Of desk jobs to manual labor. But let's also, you know, say what's obvious to everybody that the Air Force has aircraft and there are Mm -hmm. pilots who fly them. And so while pilots only make up 4% of the total Air Force. That's so shocking to me. I would just think like, oh, I'm signing up for the Air Force and I'm going to get a plane. Oh, right. (laughs) That's like not how it goes at all. (laughs) No, not even close. (laughs) So what are the physical capacities that they're tested for? The pilots? Mm hmm. So they have the same physical fitness standards as the rest of the Air Force, that one-minute push-up, one-minute sit-up, mile-and-a-half run. They don't have anything special outside of those fitness requirements in order to be... Physically eligible? Well, yeah, physically eligible to fly the jet, though I do have to caveat that because they do have to pass a class three flying physical, but that's not so much about the fitness standards, but more like the medical standards of being able to fly. Oh, interesting. Okay. And are those medical standards, are those influenced by health in terms of like what we've kind of started to relate to what strength can provide? Like, is it correlated to waist hip ratio or strength or is it more like, you know, cardiovascular metabolic syndrome? Yeah, it's more related to the cardiovascular capacity, but even that is pretty limited. Like, for example, if you've had a history of asthma, you're probably not going to be okay. allowed to join the Air Force at all, much less become a pilot. Maybe some pre-existing conditions. Yeah, there's some pre-existing conditions, but it, also that class three flying physical is also like, are you colorblind kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Which obviously has no bearing on how strong you are. Nope. <laughs> Nor can you cure colorblindness with squats. <laughs> Which would be amazing. I, I am colorblind, and so I would be very grateful. <laughs> that instead of having just only PRs for weight on the bar, it'd be like, can you see green now? <laughs> right. <laughs> That'd be fun. Okay. All right. No, in fact, what, you know, squat-induced blindness, right? You know, that's a legitimate thing. Yes. 
Brownouts, brownouts from pressing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so 4% of the Air Force population, well, they have to be pretty strong and fit to withstand G-forces. And I mean, you would think so, but that's not necessarily the case. Oh, interesting. Okay, you're blowing my mind. Yeah, because let's say it like it really is. The vast majority of people in the military are not very strong, right? Mm -hmm. They are a reflection of society as a whole. And most people are not very strong, right? True. Sorry. Sorry, most people. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that, that's <laughs> not saying that they're not good people or they can't be great pilots, but mm -hmm. they're not very strong. And so the Air Force has had to use technology in order to make sure that pilots and other air crew don't succumb to some of the things that can happen when flying an aircraft, especially the fighter aircraft that often pull G's. Mm -hmm. So pulling G's is what happens when an aircraft goes into a bank turn or accelerates really fast or does something to increase the amount of force that is experienced by the pilot and the aircraft itself mm -hmm. beyond the normal forces experienced because of Earth's gravity, right? Yeah. And when that takes place, there are things that happen to the physical body, especially the brain, where the blood rushes out of the brain. And, you know, when blood doesn't get to the brain, you take a little nap, you, you don't get the oxygen that you need. Yeah. And so you, exactly. You could pass out, which is also known as G induced loss of consciousness or G lock. OK. Like I was saying, the Air Force has had to use technology such as a G-suit that is a piece of equipment that pilots and other aircrew will wear on their lower abdomen and on their legs that inflates with air to use the pressure to push the blood back up toward the brain so that they Man. don't go into G-lock. or That must feel super weird. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm not a pilot, and so I haven't used that piece of equipment, but I imagine having something squishing you yeah. while you are oh, undergoing <laughs> those those G's, I imagine can be pretty uncomfortable. What a day. <laughs> okay. But that's what they do in order to overcome those kinds of things. They mm -hmm. train for this. There's the technology piece of it, like I was saying, the, the G suit, but then they also train to Valsalva. Yeah. It's and actually be, called and be physically uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. What's it actually called? It's called something really neat. So it's called the anti-G straining maneuver or the AGSM. Basically, that's just a really fancy way of saying Valsalva. They bear down into their diaphragm. They hold their breath and, you know, will take short breaths. When I watch pilots do it, I just think, oh, that's just like doing a press. You know, you, yep. you push it up and then you quickly breathe out and back in and then you brace again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a natural so, human movement when you're preparing to experience force. Exactly. Yeah. That is a very cool. eloquent way of putting it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. That's really interesting. What's kind of blown my mind here with this so far is that we have this seems to be a pretty basic, very simple physical fitness test mm -hmm. that is used to determine if you are capable enough to join as an airman or a guardian, right. where you'll be required to do various levels of physical tasks ranging from sitting at a desk to being able to withstand g-force to having to pour concrete like it's like you have every job out there yep but they still need to have this physical fitness test for some reason it's not like you would go get hired at a construction company and they'd be like oh, okay well let's see how quickly you can do a mile and a half run or let me see right. how many push-ups you can do like why is there a physical fitness test 
Yeah, so it's actually a Department of Defense mandated requirement. It's written into law and policy that if you're going to be a member of the armed forces, not just the Air Force, but any branch of service, you do have to meet a baseline of physical and medical requirements. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing about that is the law doesn't stipulate what those physical requirements are. They get to be determined by the service itself. Mm. And so the primary reason for that is because it's pretty easy to standardize mm -hmm. and it's very cheap and easy to scale across 330,000 people. Totally. So easy to test. You just need a person who can count. Yeah. Very easy to test. But the problem with it is the results of that test don't tell you anything. Right. Like what kind of data are they even getting from any of that? Exactly. Ugh. Yeah. And I, you know, I love the idea of having some sort of like barrier for entry for physical fitness because there is so much money invested in every single person that's in any of these branches. Yeah. And, you know, if their role needs to be really escalated in the case of, you know, being deployed or we actually have to go to war or anything like we want these men and women to be like ready for it. I want people who can deadlift 500 pounds out there fighting because they'll be prepared to keep themselves safe and they'll be prepared to keep yeah. others safe. So, yeah, it's interesting that they haven't done more to create a system that enriches people's health and strength and fitness in a way that would protect their investments. Or our investments, really. <laughs> no, it absolutely is your investment. I mean, you're a taxpaying member of society, mm -hmm. a citizen of the United States, and you're not only paying the salaries of all of these airmen and guardians, but you're paying for their equipment. Mm -hmm. And if they get hurt, you're also paying for their medical care. Yeah. And so, and, you know, sitting at a desk is like, man, that just sucks for your body. Like you and I sit at our desk more as remote coaches than for sure if we would, if we were in-person coaches and like that takes a toll. And if you can't, if you're sitting there uncomfortable because of maybe you're not sleeping well or you can't really focus because you don't have like a physical outlet or because your back hurts or your hip hurts. Like it's not measured physical output work, but it's work output that is still very important. Yeah. I mean, you want to see a return on your investment. You want to make sure that the investment is protected. Mm -hmm. And so you want to know that whether that airman or guardian is sitting at a desk or out there pouring concrete or loading munitions or flying a jet or anything in between, you want to know that they are capable of doing the mission that has been assigned to them mm -hmm. and the mission that you are paying for them to do, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the current PT test, the push-ups, the sit-ups, the running, I think we've proved it's not going to guarantee that return on investment, especially if you consider what we've been dealing with over the last year with the COVID-19 pandemic and the cancellation of these PT tests. Air Force operations haven't stopped, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. People are still flying. People are still doing their desk jobs out there on the flight line. They're still doing the work, mm -hmm. even without the PT test being in place. Mm -hmm. Now, an argument could be made that because it was in place before the pandemic started, that that had been sufficient to make sure that everybody was ready. But mm -hmm. as we've been talking about push-ups and sit-ups in a short run, do not prepare somebody to do all of these different things, to fly an aircraft, to pour concrete or whatever mm -hmm. their job might be. Mm -hmm. Really what's been going on is people are finding ways to do fitness 
to train themselves outside of that unit PT because they weren't experiencing the results that they need. That's what happened with you, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just one example of however many thousands out there who recognize that there is a better way of doing things in order to achieve that return on investment that the American people have been asking for. Yeah. And one of the perfect examples of this is special operations within the Air Force, right? Those airmen are subject to a much higher standard of physical fitness just by virtue of what they have to do on a daily basis for their job. Yes, they still have to take a PT test just like everybody else, but they also have their own set of standards, the physical aptitude and stamina test where they have to do pull-ups, they have to swim, they have to run much further distances, they have to do a more technical sit-up and push-up. And you know what else they're doing? The Air Force is paying for those airmen to have strength and conditioning coaches who develop a program specific to them. They've what? completely thrown out the industrialized PT model because oh, they man. recognize that that doesn't work. Mm. And so they've brought in these strength and conditioning coaches some of them might follow the barbell logic method of way of doing things where they might be, you know, CSCS certified or something along those lines. But the point is, is that the Air Force recognized that there is value in paying for an expert mm -hmm. to provide that expertise, to provide that training and programming to those airmen. And mm -hmm. because they saw success in the special operations arena, mm -hmm. the Air Force has also shifted gears and is now doing that for pilots and air crew. So there's this new program called the Optimizing the Human Weapon System program that is designed to bring physical therapists, massage therapists, and strength and conditioning coaches into those flying squadrons to provide that individualized coaching and programming for each pilot, for each aircrew member, so that they can start to actually make progress more than the standardized PT test model can do. That's great. That was actually me. One of my next questions is what kind of investment are they making into these airmen and guardians? So that's good to hear. So that's isolated to a very small percentage at this point. Yeah. So like we were saying earlier, pilots only make up 4% of all airmen mm -hmm. and a slightly larger percentage are going to be all air crew. Right. Okay. And so the optimizing the human weapon system program is is limited in its scope mm -hmm. and is only going to benefit a very small number of airmen, but the Air Force is officially undergoing a review of its PT program mm -hmm. to see, is there a better way to do this? Yeah. Because like we've seen from the Army very recently, there is a recognition that the industrialized PT model just isn't working anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not working for soldiers, for airmen, guardians, Marines, sailors, you name it. We recognize that if we really want to protect that investment, if we want to make sure that people are ready, combat effective, and they're not going to be a drain on the medical system while serving or after they leave the service, mm -hmm. we have to give every member of the military individualized coaching from someone who actually knows what they're doing. Yeah, because there are a lot of different ways to do it, but specific ways that can really protect the investment of the human. Yeah. So why is this important to you specifically? Why is it important to me that 
our Air Force has strength coaches that airmen are stronger, that regardless of what they're doing for the Air Force, that they have that increased level of strength and ability. Mm -hmm. Because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Right. We say that the majority of the Air Force is not involved in combat, but that doesn't mean that they won't be. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes, the vast majority of combat operations are carried out by a very small percentage of the Air Force. But that doesn't mean that it's always going to be that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Especially as we look ahead to the future and the possible conflicts that are coming our way with great power competition against near peer rivals. There's no guarantee that the fight is going to stay over there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And. Not that I would ever want a finance airman to have to pick up mm. a rifle and fight against the enemy. Mm -hmm. That's still a possibility. Mm -hmm. So that's the number one thing is that I want the entire Air Force, regardless of the airman's job and the Space Force too, regardless of what they're doing, whether they're at the desk, on the flight line, mm -hmm. in the cockpit, to be as ready as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. That seems very important. But even beyond that, because let's say our hopes and dreams come true, that we never get into a World War Three or World War Four type of event. Wars never start up again. That would be a wonderful thing. That sounds nice. <laughs> yeah. So let's say that that actually happens, right? What do we want for our airmen and our guardians at that point? We want them to be healthy. Mm -hmm. We want them to be happy. We yep. want them to be resilient and capable of carrying out their lives as best as they can, whether they're in the military or not. Because at some point, every single airman and guardian is going to take the uniform off and they're going to return to society. Mm -hmm. And we want them to be capable, to be healthy and able to continue serving in whatever capacity that they find themselves in at that point. Yeah. To still be a productive member of society and not a drain on everybody's resources. Totally. Yeah. Looking at it from like the HR role that I'm a little more familiar with is like, these are people that you have certain humans that are supporting other humans that have to do really physical missions, jobs, whatever. But these humans behind the desk, these people who are leading, like they need to be supported in a way that they're healthy, that they're not sick all the time, that they feel confident enough to lead and they learn about, you know, voluntary hardship and everything. Like they need to support all these endeavors and, you know, in a way that they're supported as humans. Because, you know, like if your workforce is in a good place <laughs> mentally and physically, like you have higher performance, you're more successful. So that seems something that would be very, very important in the case of, you know, actually being at war or in the case of, you know, peacetime. And we're just like exploring and learning and growing as a civilization. Sounds great either way. Yeah, absolutely. What I have found over my five years now of using the barbell for myself and for other people I am a much better person just in general because of that refining process that right. has come through subjecting myself to something that's that's difficult. Yeah. I don't have to do it, but right. I choose to do it. Right. And so there's some resiliency that really comes from that. And because I'm a better person, that also makes me a better officer. Yeah. That makes me better for other people. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to trust you more if they know that you've done something that was difficult that you didn't have to do. So that when yeah. you're asking them to do something difficult, they're not just going to be like, oh, what is this guy? He's just an officer, like sitting at a desk all day. He's never tried anything hard, but they'll respect you. I would at imagine. least that's the hope, right? I hope so. <laughs> yeah. 
And even if they don't respect me, I know what I'm capable of. Mm -hmm. And when I come up against something that is difficult, that's not necessarily related to my ability to display strength, Mm -hmm. I'm still able to use what I've learned, what I've gained underneath the bar. And I say underneath the bar because really it's the squat that's terrible. Everything else is fine. (laughs) Same. You laugh because you know it's true. <laughs> because I've gained those experiences, I am able to apply that elsewhere in my life, mm-hmm. both in the military and outside of it. I am a much more effective person because I've gone through that refining process. Totally. Okay. I have one final question for you. And this is something that I know you guys are going to explore later on in the series. But if you could make one minimum effective dose change, to the physical fitness system for the Air Force and Space Force, what would it be? Oh, that's so good. (laughs) Only one? Let's do the first minimum effective dose change. Um, Get rid of the mile and a half run. Ah, Replace it with anything? Well, yeah. I mean, if we're talking, you know, what is the full spectrum of the minimum effective dose? Yeah, I would replace it with a deadlift because everybody can deadlift. Yep. Mm-hmm. I like it. I feel like that would do so much right away. Yeah. Good choice. <laughs> and, you know, we're seeing that already take place Yeah, with the Army. They still have the run, but they've also implemented a deadlift. And so mm-hmm. very interested to see how that plays out, how things go there. Same. Yeah, it's cool. Excellent. Well, I'm excited to hear what you continue to explore later on. I know you're going to do an interview with Matt about the culture and the changes that you think would be excellent to make. So that's going to be great to go into. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here, Colin. I learned so much, actually. That was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope everyone enjoys the rest of the series because it's very important. Yeah. Like we were talking about, we're trying to invest in our members of the military. We want to protect that investment and make sure that they're as capable as they can be. I love it. Yep. Cool. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. See you all next time. <laughs> Colin, nice work. Well, thank you. I thought that was very good. Hopefully I've done a few of these. I have an idea of what to say. Yeah. Again, even though I'm not a pilot. Yeah. Starting to figure some stuff out there. So one thing I wanted to start off with is you explored for a minute there how the American people want to get a return on investment mm-hmm. with their armed forces. Right. And being fit to fight is something that they expect of us. I wonder if we could start there and explore that idea a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, part of this whole series is exploring the idea of fitness within the military, why we do this. And most of it has been from the perspective of us as the cloth wearing members of the military. But in the interview, Nikki and I had a little exchange on why the American people care. It's because they want to be confident that their military is ready to go and do their job to project that air power. And not only do they want to see the return on investment from the hugely expensive equipment that they pay for, thank you very much, American people, we love you so much, but they want to see it from us. And a big part of that is our fitness, our being fit to fight. And I know that's a catchphrase that gets thrown around a lot. And, you know, people kind of cringe when they hear it, but it's true. Like we've discussed in previous episodes, that if you are not fit for the culture, if you are not fit for the fitness culture, then you're going to be a hindrance on our ability to project power. 
And that actually yeah. moves in the direction of where I wanted to go, Reed. I want to double down on this discussion that Nikki and I had about the Air Force using technology as the primary way that we project our power. It's like the birthplace of who we are, right? I mean, we yeah. were yeah. born from a new technology. Yeah, and we explored that in our Air Force Heritage episode. It's come up multiple times throughout the entirety of the podcast that we as airmen care deeply about innovating and in the use of technology to achieve you know, strategic national objectives. But where I want to double down on this is I think that we are at that inflection point in the development of technology and the projection of air power, where it's no longer the technology that's the limiting factor, but it's the human who is in the cockpit or remotely stationed elsewhere operating the aircraft or whatever the responsibility is. I think we as humans are limiting our ability to project air power. And therein lies the opportunity for us to increase our fitness and thereby increase our ability to project air power more effectively. What are your thoughts there, Reed? I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up. And I read a book recently, Various Upside Down. It was about fighter pilots in Vietnam and specifically airborne fast forward air controllers, fast FAC. Basically, their job is to identify targets for larger strike packages. Okay. These fighter pilots would fly low, they would fly fast, and they would usually mark the targets with like a rocket or something. So they're not the ones that are delivering the ordinance. They're marking targets for somebody else to come later. Correct. And then, you know, identifying a location, giving coordinates, walking people onto the target, that sort of thing. Yes, they had some capability to engage the targets, but that wasn't their primary role. And interesting book. But one thing that I remember thinking about numerous times is the shenanigans that would happen after every flight. Now, there's a lot of layers to this, right? You're in combat. 30% of your unit has been shot down at least one time. You know, numerous people are getting captured and killed. This is war with all of its ugliness. Yeah. And there's significant amount of emotional and psychological coping that goes into cutting it up with the boys after the flight in the bar and all the shenanigans that can happen with that. And I'm not dismissing that. Yeah. I simply cannot understand the degree of psychological wrenching that these men went through. And it was men back in this time frame. Yeah. However, it was something that I thought about a lot. Mike, there is no way that amount of shenanigans would pass from a physical side of things anymore. Yeah. I think we just demand so much more of the human beings. And when you say shenanigans, Reed, you're talking about like the partying that would come yeah. after the sortie, yeah. the binge drinking, the cigar smoking. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of yeah. things. Now, that still happens, right? Those shenanigans still happen. Yeah. But I certainly do not believe they occur at the level mm -hmm. or consistency as they used to. And you hear about that. You know, when we sit around with older officers, they kind of mourn the passing of the old Air Force. Yeah. Colin, even you and I have heard other people talk about, oh, yeah, you know, everybody used to be smoking right before their PT tests. There's a lot of reasons that's changed. But one of them is I think the Air Force is, as you've mentioned, starting to recognize how crucial the element of the human component is in our business. And I also think that that's a little bit different for our service historically. Yeah. And that's something I kind of wanted to talk about is I think air and now space forces, 
don't have a historical tradition aligned with significant physical effort directly tied to our ability to employ combat effects. Right. Again, I don't want to dismiss what our pilots do. I am certain that sitting in a cockpit for 8 to 12 hours is probably physically demanding, without question. Well, it is now, and it was then, too, in, yeah. like World War II, you know, unpressurized cabins. Yeah, and hot, the cold. Yeah. So those were absolutely physically demanding, but to your point, different from yes. some of the other services. And that's what I was getting to, right? Like, a Marine is literally carrying their combat capability on their back. Yeah. A soldier is literally carrying their combat capability on their person. And that has been since a man first picked up a club and beat some other man with it. Right. And that is different inherently than sitting in a mechanized machine. Yes, they do that in the Army and the Marines too. Got it. Tracking. But I'm talking about the historical culture of yeah. the service. We were born of technology. We were born of fast moving aircraft well and also look at how the army and the marines use those mechanized advances in technology it is for the support and advancement of the guy on the ground who is carrying his own kit yes right? exactly exactly that's what it boils down to mm -hmm. where all of us in the air force who are carrying our own kit are doing that for the support of the person who is in that mechanized machinery projecting air power from the sky yes yeah, so just inherently different, yeah. and, and that's what I'm pointing out. I think that it's with the advancement of technology that allows for remotely piloted aircraft and remote combat effects, mm -hmm. which removes a physical human being from the actual employment. And I'm talking the physical presence on the battlefield Yeah, is what has forced the Air Force to understand how critical the human element is and the need to optimize that because now you can have an aircraft in the air for 24 hours yeah but there's still got to be an airman attached to it and that then as you pointed out has become the limiting factor yeah which is why air combat command and also you know afsoc is well before acc ever started doing this is moving in the direction of Optimizing the Human Weapon System, OHWS. That is a funded program in the Air Force right now trying to get after helping fighter aircrew to be more effective in the cockpit and also afterward being able to more quickly recover so that they can get back in the aircraft again. And it's that recognition that the technology has advanced far beyond the human advancement, the human development that is driving this change. Yes, we still want to increase our ability to use technology on our behalf, but we as airmen, we as guardians, choose your service, have to recognize that we are now the limiting factor on our ability to project air and space power. So this brings us again back to the discussion of why we care about fitness. Yes, it's about availability. Because if you're not fit, if you're not able to sit in your chair wherever your chair is or be on the tarmac out on the airfield, or if you're not available, we cannot project air power. But then if you are available, but you are, still are the limiting factor because of your less than optimum fitness, you are hindering our ability to project air power. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And it's funny because these are things that have kind of been a part of my life. Fitness has been a part of my life for a long time. I found during college, I played team sports growing up, you know, like every kid did, you know, a lot of us did. And it wasn't until I got to college where, you know, I kind of put those things away because of time, because I was focusing on school. Did I rediscover how important my physical fitness is Mm -hmm. to my mental fitness? And it was really funny because where did I find myself on finals week? In the gym. Because it was empty, first of all, right? Every machine (laughs) was open. Every bench was available. Pull-up bar was never occupied. It was great. But more importantly than that, for me, if I did not know the material during finals week, no amount of cramming at 2 a.m. is going to get me there. But you know what is going to get me across the finish line is having completed that part of myself, which needed that physical outlet, which needed a good night's sleep, which needed to be fully hydrated. You know, all of that side of things, that's what got me through finals week. It was not 2 a.m. cram sessions. Did I do them? Of course I did, right? We all did at some point. And then I realized that's dumb. I'm going to go to the gym every day of finals week. And I did much better as a result. And that's where I really came to understand how important this fitness was to my complete health. Right. That fitness is one aspect of your complete health. It's not the only one. Yes. And that actually gets to the Air Force's approach to this, at least what they've been trying to do for a while now, the comprehensive airman fitness, physical fitness being one pillar within the whole calf model, right? Yep. The others being mental and spiritual and social, right? There are these other things that go into you being a whole and completely healthy being, but just like you're saying, far too often we neglect physical fitness thinking that we are going to double down and be better at the mental and the social aspect without the fitness, but it doesn't work that way. You need the fitness to balance the rest of it. Yeah. Now I'm not saying if you're having a hard time in school, stop studying. (laughs) That's not. (laughs) And go hit the weights. Yeah. However, (laughs) comma, if all you are doing is studying, maybe you need to bolster your overall health by doing something else so that you are more available in all those other areas because that's what it boils down to like you said and we need to be ready in order to employ air power yeah real quick a couple more things for me so fitness was one of the things that attracted me to military service like i said during college i found how important fitness was to my overall well-being for sure as i'm starting to look for work i started to examine military service i thought wait a minute There are entire organizations who are centered in and around requiring their people to be healthy by physically active. Cool. They're going to pay you to be physically active. Yeah. Like there's a rule written down that says I'm supposed to get X many of minutes. I'm listening. Right. Absolutely. Makes you a professional athlete, right? To be paid to exercise. Well, about that. So, (laughs) and that's where I'm going to kind of rain on this parade a little bit. Broadly, my 10 years in the Air Force have been pretty underwhelming from a (laughs) United States Air Force-driven physical fitness perspective. Right. And outside of the training environment, so outside of OTS, outside of a little bit of Intel school, and my very first year in the Air Force, the United States Air Force has not driven me to be physically fit 
outside of doing my annual PFA. They've very rarely allocated the time as an organization. They very rarely made it a priority and it's fallen to me. And that's been something pretty underwhelming for me. When you say they, you're talking command structures, you know, people who make these decisions, whether or not to institute unit PT or not, make time available in your calendar. Yes. And when we talk command structures, we're talking commanders. So officers, it's our responsibility yep. as officers to make this available to you, but that hasn't necessarily been your experience. Yes. Now, I also recognize that I am not in a traditionally physical career field, right? Right. I recognize that maybe cops or maybe other battlefield airmen career fields are better at this. Certainly. But it has not been my experience. A funny thing, the best organization I was ever in was a scientist and engineer career field. When I was a chemist at my first duty station, that wing had the best fitness culture of any I've been a part of. It was straightforward, it was understandable, it was easy to track, and it was available, mm -hmm. and it was expected. And it was just part of the culture. It's what we did. And we got the mission done. Everything was fine. Everybody got awards. You know, commander got awards, the unit got awards. Everybody's clearly doing fine. Yeah. And so that's something that I wonder why, and I don't have any good answers. It's something I think about as I approach that leadership time of my career, I wonder why that falls off. And I'm hoping to change that. What are your thoughts, Colin? What has been your experience, I suppose? My experience has been lackluster, I would say. You know, underwhelming is a good word. In every unit that I've been a part of, short of being deployed, because that's a different animal altogether. But when I've been home station, Every unit, every commander that I've had has had a squadron organized PT on a regular basis. And I would go there, I would participate, I'd get a workout in, and I didn't hate it. I mean, it was nice to be there with the other airmen, yeah. especially the enlisted, and have time to you know, sweat with them. And Colonel Conway talked about the importance of that in a previous episode. Yeah, and we talked about the importance of that connection, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so I enjoyed that part of it. But for sure, my own personal fitness, I never progressed. I never got anywhere. My PT scores never got any better. I was solid right at you know the 90. Occasionally, I'd get a 92. I think there was one point where I got a 95. You know, full disclosure, I'm a big guy. Yeah. Running is hard for me. It doesn't feel good. It hurts a lot. And so I don't enjoy doing it. It's never been something that I've actively pursued, but I really enjoy the unit PT stuff that we would do, you know, the calisthenics, the body weight work, you know, institutionalized, the official sport of the Air Force, ultimate Frisbee, you know, we would play these things and I would have a great time doing it. But like I said, never found any progress in my physical fitness. When I was deployed, there were, you know, functional fitness, CrossFit type opportunities outside of unit PT because everybody's on different schedules. There was no organized PT, which allowed me to then go pursue some of these other things, right? And so that exposure to these other things, these other modalities, ways of exercising and seeing some progress there made me realize, uh, maybe the unit organized PT is not meeting what I personally need in order to become better. And that's when I started really looking for some other things and ultimately led me to Barbell Logic and 
weight training, right? So it's not that Air Force PT is bad. It's just not as good as it could be. Well, and here's a quick question, Colin. Do you think that in the units where regular PT occurred, it created a culture that drove you to be more likely to take your own initiative to look out for your own physical fitness? I want to say yes, but it always comes back to the commander. They're the one that has to paint the vision and set the example of how important physical fitness is for everybody else to follow. Yeah. Without that, then people are going to do their own thing. Not that doing their own thing is bad. It's just that for a lot of people, doing their own thing is antithetical to what the Air Force needs them to do. Got it. Right? Yeah. I guess the reason I asked that question is in that first unit I was in, the weekly soccer sessions and as you described, you know, unofficial sport of the Air Force, Ultimate Frisbee. Oh, it's official. Okay. Wow. Certainly. It's <laughs> I'm gonna find it in an AFI. <laughs> I've absolutely played my fair share of Ultimate Frisbee in the Air Force. But what I'm getting at is that year I ran a marathon. And I wonder how much I could associate the fact that unit PT was expected in changing my perspective on being vigilant about my own physical fitness yeah. versus the rest of the time where I've had to basically figure it out myself. Right. And that's what I'm wondering, that culture. And like you said, that boils down to the commander and the vision and the culture that they establish. Because that's our responsibility. The commander creates the culture. Yes. And it needs to be a culture of fitness. We've talked about how it needs to be a culture of trust. It needs to be a culture of connection and competence and character so that that trust can take place and that culture of fitness can take root all for the express purpose of being able to be available and more effective in projecting air power. We own this read. Yes. You and I as officers of the air force, as potential commanders, as maybe even future commanders, we own this. Yes. And I think that's where we want to leave it, right? Is with that individual call for you to take action, no matter where you are, whether you are thinking about maybe someday becoming an Air Force officer, or maybe you are an actual commander, maybe you're a second lieutenant who just showed up, you can influence your organization, your flight, your branch, your office, wherever you are, by being fit, by establishing that as a pattern for you and letting that trickle out to others. And then at the more responsibility, the more centrality you get to your organization, you have that responsibility. And it is, it's up to us. And you say you can influence. I'm going to you know, take that the next step. Yes. I'm saying you will influence it yes. for good or ill. Absolutely. Regardless of your position, your rank, you will influence it. And so be deliberate about it. Make that choice to influence your unit, your culture, your airmen for the better. Absolutely. Hey, Colin, thanks for going on to Barbell Logic and dropping some knowledge bombs. I really enjoyed the interview you did with them. And I'm certain that if anybody has any questions, you're more than happy to answer them. You know, for sure. I'm pretending like you're not here. I'm talking about you almost in the third person. Anything else before we wrap up this week, Colin? So we've got one more episode coming from the Barbell Logic military series. This next one coming up next week is going to be more broadly about the military fitness culture and how we can change it. We got into a little bit there. We're going to you know, revisit that even in more depth coming up next week. 
And then I don't know if we've said this, but I'm going to say it maybe again or for the first time here. After that episode, we're going to have a fresh episode, an interview with the CEO, founder and owner of Barbell Logic, Matt Reynolds himself. So stay tuned, stick around, share these episodes, bring some people in so that they can get all this information that's going to be useful to them and to the Air Force. Awesome. Well, that'll wrap it up. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Commission Ed. Commission Ed.